You're now tuned in to the Finding Success Show, where we interview guests and uncover the keys to success in business and in life with your hosts, Justin Bozak, Abe Cavella, and Tom Zdanowitz. All right, we're live in studio today with Len Zdanowitz. Possible relation to Tom Zdanowitz? I don't know. There's a last name thing there that... Sounds familiar, yeah. The younger you version. Guys, you guys are a unique uh, a unique clan, right? I mean, all Zanowitzes probably have to be related, right? Yeah, well, there's not many of us in the world that aren't related. <laughs> Come on, that name. So Coach Len is the uh, coach for uh, Brick High, and uh, he's been doing his thing for quite some time. So uh, we appreciate you coming in. Thanks um, for having me. Wanted to go over uh, a couple couple different things. You know, we wanted to go in a little bit on the, on the past and how you got to kind of where you're at now and... Mm-hmm. Kind of end up with uh, you know what's happening right now in the current environment of uh, of coaching and sports with uh, with COVID. Mm-hmm. So uh, you want to start us off with uh, with I guess you're starting in football. Well, that's that goes down back to like probably the early '80s and Pop Warner and Brick and you know we grew up playing. Um, you know me and Tom and the family, everybody, all my brothers and sisters, very involved in sports from a young age. I mean, our parents kind of pushed us into that, and it was like. We all wanted to do it anyway, so it was kind of fun for us. Um, you know, for me, playing high school football and then college football and then getting into coaching from there and everything it led to my getting my teaching job. So it's just been a basically like a, a way of life for me. You know, I mean, took a couple of years off after high school, went to work in the city for a little bit and basically didn't wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for me. I didn't want to do it. So I went back to school, back to college, played football, and, and just fell in love with coaching. And then uh, from that point on, you know, I've been doing it now. I think we're coming up on 23 years as a coach, assistant, and head coach. So it's just been, uh, it's been fun. And then it's been all different levels from my son when being in five years old playing flag to high school kids until you know, all star games. So there's just been a bunch of different things that's uh, that I've been fortunate enough to be able to do in this profession. So I'm going to jump in here since I might know you a little bit. Um, so there's a point in, it seemed like in high school where you, I guess maybe the light turned on or something where you all of a sudden took football extremely seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe in the past it was more of just, you know, hanging out with the guys. But what what was that point that kind of changed your your, your, your mindset? Well, you know, with, with the program that we were involved in at Brick, it's been a very successful program playing for Coach Warren Wolf, who was the all-time winningest coach in, in the history of New Jersey football. And it was something that was basically, you know, it was it was ingrained in us, you know, for for where we grew up. But I was when I was younger, I was kind of like I got into some trouble when I was younger years in high school, middle school. I was just one of those kids that probably would have been medicated nowadays. And my mother never, you know, the teachers had said that people have recommended it. She never, you know, never agreed to it at all. So I just kind of found my way. And then by the time, like after my sophomore year, junior year, I really started taking it more seriously. And, you know, then, you know, getting into when you're playing varsity football and, you know, my junior year, I didn't play much at all. And then my senior year, going into my senior year, you know, me and my teammates, we decided that we're going to work our butts off because our our junior year ended with a state championship loss to a real good football team. And we were totally blown out. And, and it was like a motivation, like, man, we want to get back here and we don't want that this feeling ever to happen again. And that's where I kind of like really like took it seriously. And then I took it seriously that year. I wound up being a two-way starter on our state championship team. And then after school, I was, I'd always planned on going to work with my dad and doing uh, Union Carpenter in New York City, and I did that. And after, you know, I played in an all-star game my senior year, 
And then after that, I just kind of like, man, I really, I really think I didn't reach my potential yet. So I kind of like went back. To, when I went to work, I was working every day, and every day I was driving home and wishing I was somewhere else. So mm -hmm. it was just a matter of, you know, people I tell people nowadays, I was 20 years old. I was making $60,000 a year in construction in 1992, and I said, ah, I want to dump this and go back to work. I mean, go back to college. And I went back to school and played, and best decision I ever made. And I still joke about it. Probably about five, six years ago, I finally cracked sixty thousand dollars teaching. You know? <laughs> but it was—it's not—it's a totally different, you know, mindset. You basically, and I tell kids to this day that, you know, if you're doing something that you don't like and you're you're working for a living, you do something you love, then you don't have to work. You know, so I tell them the goal in life is not to make money. The goal is to find something you love doing and then find a way to get paid for it. And that's what you know. I I feel like I'm doing now. Well, I think about, like, we, we talk about finding success, and everyone thinks, oh, that's just making millions of dollars, making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And there you are right there saying that right now, if you were a carpenter, you'd probably be making six figures well above that. Yeah, I probably would be that. I'd probably be divorced. I'd probably be <laughs> yeah. drunk. I mean, that's just the I'm way it happy, was. I mean, right? there's a lot of guys that have I have family members. We have family members the same way. That just You get into the wrong part of this, and you're in the city every day, and everything, if you're making money and you're in the city, there's things that entice you. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I just didn't want to be a part of that stuff and be around it. But I know I probably would have made a lot more money, but you never know what, what could happen, what your life would be like. Yeah. yeah it's so. not a finding stress, right? It's, well, it's that's, finding, I mean, <laughs> finding I remember success. I, I mean, there's two different things. And just like Tom said, it's not about money. No, I remember my father leaving the city sometimes. And on a Friday, he was waiting for a general contractor to get a paycheck. And he would be in the office and the guy wouldn't release the check till after three o'clock. Right. On a Friday, because they didn't want you to cash it till the, it's like, and we'd have to wait till after three o'clock and the work would be done months ago. And he's just sitting there, and, and after 3 o'clock, getting out of the city on a Friday is, is brutal. It's yeah. brutal. And we would try to always get out of there before 2. And, you know, I just remember him coming into the car, just being upset. And you know, our dad, you know, he didn't hold back. You know, he was just like, this business stinks. And I'm sitting there listening to this going, I guess this is not fun, you know. The money's great, but I guess it's a pain in the butt when you got to wait for it like this. And these guys basically have you, have you out. You know, they can do whatever they want to and hold back money from you because you're not going anywhere because you need to work for them to make money, money that's going to come in next week. So it's kind of like a, it's a bad spot. But uh, I saw it early, and once I told my father I really wanted to go back to school, he was the happiest guy. He that's was more awesome. happy than me, you know, yeah. so. Well, yeah, th to think about that, like what he went through, he used to get up at like 4.30, I think it was 4.45, yep. the clock would go yep. off. Yep. And he'd get on the road by 5.15 and get in the city by 6.15, 6.30. As long mm -hmm. as he did that, he didn't hit the traffic. And on Fridays, if you left by 1.45, you don't hit the, tra the traffic. Oh, we'd get up early, we'd work through lunch and get yep. out of there by 1. I yeah, mean, it, was just, it was clockwork. Yep. So, But what he had to go through to give us an opportunity to have this type of life, mm -hmm. and I think that's probably why he was the most excited to hear that. So you're going to get an education. So let's talk about William P. a little bit. William Patterson University, a pioneer. Yep. So, William Patterson College when I was there. Oh, college. So that's how long ago it was. Okay, all right. <laughs> so you were a pioneer there. When I, one thing I remember most about you, obviously you played football there. Um, you guys were an awesome team. You guys were D3, but New Jersey, uh, what was it? New Jersey what? what the NJAC, New Jersey Athletic Conference. Probably one of the best conferences in division. It was at the time. Five. It was very good. But one thing I remember most about you, I think you were, were you um, named captain sophomore year or junior year? I was captain my junior and senior year. That, so right there, that tells me what type of leader you are. Because yeah. to, to elect a junior as a captain when there's seniors on the team, yeah. I mean, do, what do you have to say about like the, the teammates you played with what they thought about you and yeah. how you became a leader from there. Well, I think the other part was I was a little older than a lot of the guys too. <laughs> so it also <laughs> helped, you know, so I, mean, I was a little bit You're older. guy. Yeah. Well, again, I kind of like, I mean, I made mistakes and I already, you know, when you go back and you know what you want, 
it's different than having kids that come to college and try to find themselves. Yeah. I knew what the real world was like, so I was like focused on my grades. I I was a, I was an A student. I was you know three point five GPA, and I was never like that. In Just high like school. in middle school, right? Yeah, yeah not like that in there at all. I mean, I was going to work in construction, so I didn't care what my grades were. Yeah. But that's the difference when you're focused on what you're doing and you know what you want. Then it's the, the work isn't. It's not work. It's just that you enjoy doing it. And that's what, you know, my grades were really good in, high, in, in college. And just being around the guys, I was like one of the guys as far as working out. I had already done it. I come from a very good program. You know, and I remember some of the guys I played with. And, you know, just some of the guys, you know, I remember one specifically my junior, my sophomore year. We started the season. I think we started off 0-3. And, and we had lost like two games by a point. And I remember just losing it on the team, like just losing it. Going, well, are you kidding me, guys? We got to do this. We got. I said, I, did, I said, I said, I still remember this phrase. I didn't lose three games in high school, and I remember saying it. And I remember a couple of the kids in my team going, "Z, I didn't win three games in high school." Oh wow! So yeah. then, right there, I kind of realized yeah. that where I, who I was talking to, you know, like I'm talking to kids that some of these kids know nothing but losing, and they accept it, and that's where they accepted it, and I was. I was mad. I was upset. I was pissed. And I was, I just never took losing well. And I was upset about it. And these guys were talking about where are we going? And I'm kind of like, well, it's going to be tough to change them. So let me just try to, you know, try to slowly try to talk to them about what it's like to win and, and, and what the feeling feels like. But when you've never won, it's tough to describe that to kids. And then some, and then when you see like, all right, well, you know, the other teams, you know what you got coming back. And some of the kids just, they're just, rel you know, they're just relish to the fact that we're not going to win. And it's, and it's just tough. And it's, it's kind of like selfish in a way. And it's not a way that I would teach, tell kids to do. But at points of my college career, I had to like, I kind of play for myself. And I realized, all right, well, every day, every time I'm going to go give a game, I'm going to go against a guy and am I going to beat him or not? And we're at the end of the game, I'm going to know if he got the best of me and if I, or I got the best of him. And that's kind of what I would measure myself on because I couldn't look at the scoreboard because it really didn't mean anything to anybody else but me. So I would just go against the guy I went against and said, all right, well, if I get the better him and, you know, I'd say I had nine and two this season or I was 10 and one or I remember the guys that beat my butt. I remember right. getting my butt kicked and being like, whoa. And, and just that's how you got to find different ways to motivate yourself. And, you know, as far as, you know, being a leader there, it was just it was pretty easy with some of the guys I've been around because I was kind of the older guy. So it was very easy to try to get those guys to to try to follow along with, with uh, my coach in college, Jerry Gallagher, who I still talk today, uh, very in, in, influential in my, me in coaching and stuff. And I've been all in this offseason. I've been talking to him a lot. So he's a, he's a great guy that I look to as one of my mentors too. And I think, um, you know, coming talking about Warren Wolf, obviously, and, and the mindset at Brick, you know, I think I, we maybe lost three or four games in my career, too, when I was there. But it was always a saying that you're Brick, you're expected to win. And it, mm -hmm. it lends back to what you're saying where, you know, it's third quarter, it's fourth quarter, you may be down, you may be up. And we put the four sign up because if you're winning, you're expected to win. You're gonna you're gonna bring it home. If you're losing, you're gonna do your best to win mm -hmm. and, and take take the lead. But so that mindset of expecting to win, it, it it's very hard to get to that to that level. I think, in my opinion, so you have to change a culture in order to do that. So obviously, Brick, you learned that. What did you learn at, at with Gallagher at Willie P? Maybe on the other end of it, and mm -hmm. how to to change that mindset. So really, my question is. The coaches, what did you take from each coach that you uh Well, I was there? very fortunate. At, at Patterson, I had, well, at high school, you know, going, starting from high school as far as you want to know from all my yeah, coaches. Okay, yeah, sure. So, so from high school, um, having coach, you know, coach, coach Warren Wolf, who was, you know, just a legend in, in the state. And coach Tim Osborne was my defensive line coach who really became a real mentor 
for me in high school and then going into my college, my teaching ranks and uh, coaching ranks because he was a head coach when I was a head coach. And, you know, there was some stuff that we had talked about and he was he became a real big mentor. And, you know, his loss and his passing was really tough. You know, I remember just remember exactly where I was, you know, when somebody important to you passes, you just remember everything about it. And he was one of those guys that was just very influential. And every time I had an issue with coaching, I would call him. I mean, he'd be the guy I'd call. And um, he was very influential. Coach Philippone, another guy that was our offensive line coach, who still helps me out today on my staff. So these guys helped me out. And then high school, after high school, getting into college, and Coach Gallagher was was very great, very uh, influential with a lot of things and in life. And I still remember the things he taught me about football. It was, it's just uh, um, the three – I gotta remember exactly what it is about football. Put it was on the spot. Yeah, no, I just, I just, I'll, I'll, it'll come back to me. But then also, my defensive line coach Steve Brown, who was, I mean, you want to talk about an imposing figure? This guy was about six four, three hundred pounds. He had played at William Patterson, and he wound up playing in the NFL for a little bit. And he also was the dean of discipline at Patterson Eastside High School. Hmm. And like Joe in the movie, Joe Clark, and he was the guy. He was the guy who was in charge of discipline there. And I don't know how you'd ever do anything wrong with this guy looking at you. And uh, he was great. He would just have a way to motivate every single guy. He was real good at that. And that's where I learned a little bit about how to motivate different people because he had different ways to do things, which was really, really good. And he's still up there today uh, giving back. But um, just so many good people that I've worked with. And then, you know, when I got into coaching um, and I started coaching at Brick, you know, I still remember it. This is a great story to share. When I was my first time ever coaching a football game was the All-Star Game in 1997 at Brick Township High School. I was coach under Coach Wolf, and I was just starting for that season coming up. And it was the end of July, and we had the All-Shore Football Classic that a lot of kids playing. And that was my first time coaching. I was coaching defensive line. I was coaching with legendary shore coach Al Saner. He was in charge of D-line, and I was supposed to help him. So we first get there, and Al, first practice goes, are you ready to go? And I'm like, yeah, Coach, yeah, I'm ready. So practice starts, and you know, D-line comes over, and he goes, all right, it's all yours. So I was like, okay. So like right there, I was just thrown into the mix and I took it off right there. And he goes, all right, you're good. I'm going to walk around. And he just took off and left me. So I was like, it was trial by fire, but I was prepared. So it was, it was, it was, it was fine. And then the still thing I remember about that is we had done each, each one of us was in charge of something. I was in charge of the extra point block team for the team. And one thing I remember, and I heard stories about Coach Wolf, how, how he was on his coaches. And that's the key about why he's such a great coach is it's how he was on his coaches. And Coach Osborne, Coach Gianella, who were very successful guys, Coach Philippone, were all sitting there, and he goes, listen, they told me, listen, Coach is going to grill you about this extra point block team. You better have all the answers or you'll never hear the end of it. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you, believe me, you don't want to not have an answer. I'm like, okay. So I would go home. I studied, studied. And then the next day, after after like the second practice, he goes, all right, we're going to do special teams tomorrow. Leonard, get up there and uh, draw up the extra point block team. So I get up on the board in front of all these coaches who were guys that were my coaches, other guys in the shore. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a little nervous. And they're all, and these guys, listen, I mean, they don't, they don't make it easy. They're up there and they're making faces at you. They're joking. <laughs> they're, they're just anything to get you to break. Crack. And they try to just get you to crack. And, and then the pressure of Coach Wolf sitting there looking at everything and just watching everything you're drawing. And then he starts rattling off questions. All right, what if they come out in this? What if they come out in this formation? What if they come out and do this? What if they come out in that? And I'm rattling off answers. I'm like, okay, right, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We do this, coach. If they do that, we'll do this. And if they do this, we'll do that. And he's like, he's rattling the questions. And the guys over there are like, whoa, okay. They're giving me the, you know, the, the okay sign. And then all of a sudden, coach asks me a question. Like, well, what if the second, if the backup here comes in and he's lefty and everything has changed? What are you going to do? 
And they come out in this formation, and this guy's a quarterback, but he's a lefty now. And all of a sudden, he's not a righty. And I'm like, what the? Like, who the heck plans for this? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, coach, that's something that we couldn't prepare for because obviously I didn't get enough time during the week that I could prepare for everything. So right there, I'd probably go to you and ask if we need a timeout. And he was like, oh, okay, okay. And like, right there, like, I just got him. Like, and it was like, okay, Leonard, you can have a seat. And all those guys were sitting there giving the golf clap to me like this. And they said, you don't, you don't know what that did for you. That you'll never get grilled again. Right there, as a coach, you will never get grilled again by him because he knows right now that you're prepared. And I went on to coach with him for another you know, 10 to 12 years, and I, I never got it like that because he knew. He would ask me questions, but he always knew I was prepared. But I've seen guys that would fold, and they would get it every day. And I'm like, holy moly, Like this guy is relentless. But again, he said, I'm going to embarrass you in front of this office with all of us in here. But when we go out in the field, you don't want me to embarrass you in front of the kids because mm-hmm. if the kids don't have confidence in here, they're not going to believe a thing you say. So right, you, I'm going to find out what type of coach you are in here because you can't make a mistake out there. Because right. if you say something wrong and it's not what we're doing, then the kids lose faith in you, then you're, you're useless to me. That's kind so of I was like, good. whoa. I mean, it's, so it's, just, it's just he expects you to know your job. And if you don't, you're not going to be there and you're going to get embarrassed. You know? So that's one thing I learned with Coach Wolf. And I try to do that with my coaches sometimes, trying to get them prepared. I don't go to the extent that Coach did. I just don't feel I've, I can do that with guys. I'm just not that level. But my staff, I'm pretty fortunate to have a good staff that I work with me too. So it's pretty much baptism by fire. I'm telling you, <laughs> you just better. It's just a matter of like you better know the first time you're ex, you're grilled, and then from that point on, he's going to know that you're going to be prepared. Because if the first time I was a one, I was just finished. I just graduated college. I was just ready to start. I didn't even actually you know what I didn't even graduate college yet. I was still doing my student teaching when I started coaching at Brick, and I was traveling every day back and forth, and and I was still a student when I had my first coaching job at Brick before I started teaching. So, I mean, but I told you, I was older. So I was about 26 years old. So it just, it bought me, you know, I, I got, I kind of liked the trial by fire and I was able to, you know, earn his confidence and earn his, uh, his praise. And we've, you know, we've, we've met with other people, met with business owners and we talk about the hiring process and having people on you. And it's obviously, it's a, a group effort and a team effort. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes down to the coaching you talked about. Like, cause I coached with a lot, or I coached, I played for a lot of those coaches you talked about and they were an extension of Coach Wolf. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were just as good as him because they were essentially fire, but trial by fire mm-hmm. of, of him. So what do you look for in coaches to be an extension of you? Because obviously you can't do it all on your own. Mm-hmm. So you need people that are well-versed in the, in the mindset and, and, you know, the strategies that you have. Mm-hmm. So what do you look for in kind of the hiring process, but for coaches that are going to be successful under your program? With the hiring process as a coach, I mean, for me as a high school coach, you're kind of limited to what you can bring in because of, you know, the guys that work in the building. You're not going to get everybody jobs nowadays, but I'm very fortunate. We got a lot of guys that are alumni at Brick that do other things in, in their career and they can come back and coach. And then I also have a great group of guys that teach in the building with me that, you know, they all know they, a lot of them been around Coach Wolf. They've been around the program. They know the expectations. Unfortunately, I mean, we have a, we're a high school football program. I have 17 coaches. And we only have six paid stipends, which means uh-huh. there's, you know, there's, there's, there's 10 guys that are volunteering, you know? So, I mean, they volunteer their time and, you know, and, and they just love being around our kids and our kids are, they're blue collar, hard nosed kids. So they, they like being around them. And these guys, you know, when you're giving your own time, you know, sometimes it's rough because their schedules get in the way in life and family. But I try to tell my guys, listen, I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to get on you a lot about things, but you know, there's going to be certain things that I expect you to know. And I expect you to do these things. And some of my guys have been, I think they've kind of been like, you know, 
in the point of kids not knowing what to do and they've felt what it feels like. And I'm like, you don't want to feel like that, you know? And then I've talked to the guys and try to get guys prepared. But fortunately, I got great coaches that work for me. I got guys that do their work that are really into it. And that's just the key. I mean, um, having guys around you that love football as much as you is, is very important. Because during the season, I mean, there's a lot of time that we put in that nobody ever sees. And you're sitting home and you're you got Wednesday, I mean, Saturday and Sunday, you're game planning the whole day. I'm locked upstairs in, in my office just looking at film. And, you know, your wife, my wife has to be very understanding and I'm fortunate that she is. I mean, she le- kind of lets me do what I need to do with it. And, you know, and then in the off season, it's like, oh, well, I got to do this. Okay, okay. I got to <laughs> buy my, I got to build up my points. Uh-huh. So when a season comes, I can be absent, you know, because, you know, we have a sign in our coach's office that says, we interrupt this marriage to bring you football season. <laughs> and it's kind of like fitting. You know, we had that with Coach Wolfer and we keep it in there. It's just funny because if you don't have a good wife that, that backs you up, you can't do this. I mean, I've had been around guys that haven't had that and all they're worried about is what's going on when I get home when I get home. So it's, it, it can't make you be as good as you are. You guys know in this business where yeah. if you have a spouse that's not behind you going to all these meetings, going to a sales call, going to meet a client, you're not going to be successful. Somebody right. has to back you up. Or if you're by yourself, it's easy. But if you don't have a, f- a partner that's behind you, you cannot be successful. I mean, what I appreciate about you and, and, and you know, shout out to Brian Mack for he helped me so, with some paperwork in my house this weekend. Uh, my right hand weekend. man. Yep. And uh, he's, he's almost a savant on the defensive side. Pretty amazing Unbelievable. stuff. But just thinking about like, obviously, you know, he did some work on the side for me and he's doing that obviously, you know, to, to add to income and all that stuff. But what you guys have to do for the amount of money you get paid, mm-hmm. it's, it's absolutely amazing. And it seems to me the trade off is, is the appreciation and, and all the people that appreciate what you've done for them over the years. One, one story I have is our mother passed about what, nine years ago or so. And during the wake, you know, we had a lot of people come through that knew my mother, but even more people came through who knew Lenny and knew him that cause he coached them and he helped them along the way. And that to me just kind of takes the place of the salary you might've missed out on in another job. Mm-hmm. So all these lives you touched, you know, it's really, it's really amazing. And I think you gotta be applauded for that. So. That's well, right. listen, it's, it's, you know it. You're coming in, you know you're not going to make a lot of money. You're not going to be rich, but you're not going stru- to suffer. My wife's a teacher too, so we're kind of fortunate. If it was just me, it'd be a different ballgame. It probably couldn't do some of the things I would do. Right. But, I mean, we have time. I have the fortunate now where I can, I work on the side doing little things here and there. But all my coaching salaries and everything I coach, you know, can pay all my bills. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to do all these things for kids because I don't have to worry about getting another job and doing all that kind of stuff. So that's where it definitely does help you out. So support the coaches. That's what I'm saying, guys. If they have some no, side Vote gigs. for your school budgets. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, you t- Absolutely. we talk about that. I mean, you know, listen, I, some of the educators get under fire because of, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, it was making us pay for our health benefits now. And that has taken a lot of money out of a lot of our pockets. I mean, for years, you know, we always had benefits that were paid for. And then in the last, you know, nine years, all of a sudden we got to pay more and more. And that comes right out of our salary. And it's not like we can go make some more money. I mean, I can go coach and I'll make less money per hour. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I need some overtime work. Okay, well, you can go tutor. You can make it, but you're still making less money than you normally make. So it's kind of, it's weird. It's the only job where when you work overtime, you make less. So it's kind of weird with that. But you, know, you guys went to college on false pretense, in my opinion. So you guys got college, get the t- teaching degree, and you thought you're going to have this covered, that covered, this covered, and then all of a sudden everything starts getting whittled uh, away. So yeah. I mean, we've talked about you, a- I've talked about your benefits and my benefits, and I, you know, I, I turn my benefits down. I take my wives and. You know, up until this year, I used to get $3,500 as a check because I turned it down. Yeah. And they took that away from us. Yeah, so it's kind of like, well, can I just take that and sell it to my brother? Because <laughs> if I sold it to him for five grand, he would save himself $20,000 a year. It's like, uh, take that. you know, it's just unbelievable what they're worth and, and they don't give us anything for it. So, yeah. And then we still got to pay into it. So it's, 
you know, it's rough, but again, you're not making, again, you know, not making a lot of money, but it's right. not about that. Yeah. So, so my, I had a question about more of the youth of today and we, we talked about this last week, I think with, uh, with Tom hmm. and do you see it as a difficulty or maybe a change in how you have to motivate kids nowadays? Um, you know, with the social fabric of, of life and social media and what's going on, hmm. do you find different ways to try to motivate them? Well, again, you're probably going to be surprised by this answer, but it's, I say it to everybody. I don't really think kids have changed much. What has changed is parents and the coaches. Because I can think back when I was a coach, when I first started coaching, there's a lot of things that I might have said to kids that I wouldn't, wouldn't say anymore. You know, I, the, you'd get ways to motivate kids that you'd be like, oh, I can't really say that. And then you know when you're younger and you're getting coached by people, you know, everybody, every one of us that has played a sport knows that sometimes your coaches are on you saying things and you're like, man, that's the way my coach did it. But, excuse me, we can't do that nowadays. You can't talk to kids like that. And the biggest thing that I talk to parents, and I have a parents meeting every year with my parents going over like an expectations meeting. I have like a PowerPoint slide that I go through. And the biggest thing I ever ask parents for is just a simple thing of support. Don't back talk what anything that we say. Don't not, if you can always have our back, even if you don't agree with me, have my back in front of your kid. Because if you, if, if you want a one-on-one meeting with me, and my parents know I have a 24-hour rule, no matter what happens. After a game, you got to wait 24 hours to talk to me. Because <laughs> yeah, if I've lost, I'm not happy. Yeah. And, if I, and if I'm happy, I might say something about that I regret. So either way, I might say something I regret. So there's a 24-hour rule. <laughs> and if, if they want to call me for a meeting, I'll meet with them at any time. And if something if I feel is going to get hostile, I might have an AD there or somebody. But I'll tell parents right away, like if you, a simple scenario is here. Like if, if little Johnny's coming to practice and little Johnny comes to me and says, coach, what do I got to do to get better? And it's like, oh, you got to do this, 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 and this. And I tell the kids exactly what he needs to do to get better because I'm not going to lie to a kid. You got to be honest with him because kids, you know, real kids know real. They know if you're lying. They know if you're being fake. Kids, kids know that stuff. So if you tell kids what he needs to do to get better, and then he goes home and mommy and daddy say, oh, well, coach is full of crap. You're good. You're good enough. It's the coach's fault that you're not playing. Okay. And then the kid goes back and plays video games. He doesn't do anything that I just asked him to do. Conversely, if the kid went home and he said, man, daddy said it, or coach said I need to do this, this, and to get better. He goes, yeah, coach is exactly right. You better do that or you're never going to play. And then now what's the kid going to do? I got to go to work. So he's going to start working harder. So that's all I ask the parents. If you if you can think I'm a jerk and then you can say that to your kid and then call me up and call me a bum, call me this, call me that, that's fine. But at least your kid's going to get better because I want to play the best kids. I don't care what your name is. I don't care who your parents are. I don't care. I want to win football games. That's my job on a Saturday or a Friday night is to win football games. And I haven't met a coach that wants to play a kid that's not the best kid because of somebody, some other reason. I've never met that guy. Maybe I'll find him someday, but I've never met the guy that's going to play a kid that's inferior over a kid that's, 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 that's better than him because we all work way too hard to put something out there that's not the best we can put out there. So, I mean, that's the main thing is I know with parents is, you know, I think we've changed. I think we, we, you know, we ask less of kids. We don't say the same things we've said to kids because of fear of this, fear of that, fear of parents' reaction because, you know, listen, we grew up. If I came home and, and, and my dad's, you know, I asked my dad and said, oh, what happened today? Well, I got yelled at. What'd you get yelled at for? Well, I did this. Well, what are you doing? Why'd you, get, why'd you do that? Blah, 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 you know? And right away, we're wrong. You're automatically wrong. And, yeah, and you get a smack or, a, you know, they all watched me get beat when I was a kid because I was, I was a pain in the ass. I mean, that's simple <laughs> as that. So, I mean, I got some beatings for it, but I learned. And nowadays, if a kid comes home and the parent says, well, what happened at school? Well, coach said I did this. Oh, did you do it? No. Oh, well, I'm going to go to the principal. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And all of a sudden, like, they didn't even question the teacher and that somebody's already attacking you and went above your head. And it's like, well, listen, I don't make up these stories just to bust your kid. 
just to make say lies about your kid. So I'm fortunate. I have great parents. So I don't really deal with this, but I hear horror stories from other guys. And I think that's the biggest thing where it's the parental support. If somebody comes home and backs up what you say, then you're going to have great parents and you're going to have great kids. I mean, I look at the kids and I look at my team every year and I look at back when we played and I can, I can put my team almost every year I have a team. I can put that into my team when I played. These are the, like, there's gonna, always going to be like that percentage of kids, that 10 to 15% of the kids that are going to do every single thing you tell them to the letter of the law. Then there's going to be that middle, like 60%, you know, maybe group, group of kids, 70% group of kids that are always going to like just go with the flow. They're going to go one way or the other. And then there's going to be that bottom group of kids, that 10%, 20% maybe, that just don't want to do what you ask them to do. They're like, I don't want to do this workout. I don't want to do that. And they, they want to play games. They only want to play games. They don't want to do everything they can to get better. So my job is to just get that, that middle pack, more and more of those kids to follow the front group. And if I can get them to follow the front group and not follow the bottom group, and then the bottom group, in my opinion, some of these kids, by the time we get to our game, some of these kids are already going to quit because I'm going to make it so hard. And I tell kids, I make practice hard. I'm going to make this hard. I'm going to get on you. I'm a, I mean, I'm a hollerer as a coach. I'm going to get on you because I want you to quit and practice than quit in the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to work all this time and work all this hard work. I have my coaching staff and all these guys that put in these hours to have you walk out of a game because you just, at the third and goal, and it's, it's time to stop somebody so we can win, you're going to quit because it doesn't mean that much to you. Right. I want you to quit in preseason somewhere. Yeah. So that's where we're going to try to weed those kids out. And a lot of times we're successful with that. And, you know, it's just a matter of kids that just don't want to, don't have the drive. But I'm fortunate enough, you know, we don't always have the best talent, but we do have great kids that work hard. And I think it's just a matter of, as coaches, you know, we have to change a little bit because, you know, the cursing of kids, the degrading, the, the, some of the drills that we used to do, you just can't do that stuff anymore. Yeah. I mean, you can't do these drills with kids running full speed into each other because, Oklahoma's. I mean, you, you, I, anything I do as a drill, like Oklahoma drill, oh, basically man. like Tom said, Oklahoma drill is there's two guys on defense, there's two guys on offense, he runs into him and he runs over him. Okay, well, somebody's going to get hurt every once in a while. When two guys are running full speed into each other from 15 yards away, it's not normal. So somebody's going to get hurt. So I do drills where, all right, defense is going to have two guys and offense will have three. This way, somebody's got to get off a block to make that tackle. Now it's more realistic. And I know my kids are going to run full speed into each other if they need to, but I got to limit that. Because if he runs into him and he gets a concussion, guess what? I've lost him for a month. So what good is that for me? I need that kid to play in games. I don't need to prove how tough he is in a practice. So that's where I look at it as, as coaches, we've changed and we've done stuff that's better for the sport. And I think we've also, I know my program, we've won over parents because of the stuff and the education that we do for our coaches. Well, it brings me up to a story. Uh, I'm sure everyone watched The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. Um, but mm-hmm. he, he talked about how when he, I think he didn't make the, the varsity team his sophomore year and he came home. He said, Mom, yeah. I didn't make it. And the mom said something that he said just took him off in his career. And he said, well, I guess you got to work harder. And that's it. That's exactly what I saw that thing. And I, I said that that's exactly it. Now, if his mom would have said, well, that's because the coach doesn't like you and you're this and you're that, let's go in and meet the principal. Then Michael Jordan would have thought he was good enough and would have never worked hard. So his mom just made him work hard because you didn't make the team. And that's the simplest thing that you just said right there that I think that's where parents have changed. And some of the parents don't do that with their kids and they take what their kids say truth without like, and you think now you're accusing an adult of lying. Like, okay, well, really, do you think I really want to make up lies about your kid just so I can 
take my time off and my time at home with my family and my off period to deal with this. I don't want to do that. I want to sit and eat my lunch and be and don't bother me, you know. And then now I got to deal with all this stuff because I want to make up lies. It doesn't happen. I've never met a teacher that did it, you know. Yeah. Do you uh, feel like there's? Te- I'm sorry. Do you feel like there's teachers now that don't even don't even approach the parents now just because they don't want to get into that? And no, like listen, I think one thing we have now, I think, is we have more parent contact because we. I know in our district, I mean, we we are especially with what just happened with during the pandemic. I mean, there's so much parent teacher contact because you have to stay on the kids and it's a matter of some of the i mean some of the barriers you know with technology and stuff that might prevent that but i know we're more and more in contact with parents as much as we can be because i mean the parents that that you call back kids if you don't get calls back then you know what you're dealing with if you get calls back right away then you you're gonna parents that care about their kids a lot and i always tell kids i mean if your parent just lets you do whatever you want to and doesn't doesn't keep track of you doesn't care where you are doesn't tell you to check in then I say, listen, if your parent's always asking where you are and checking in and calling, that parent cares a lot more. And they care where you are. I don't know as a parent, I just always question if you're not asking your kids where they're going, who they're with, do you really care? I mean, that's where, yeah. and, and it stinks. And you look at it both ways and kids like, oh, my mom's always nagging me. My mom, I said, well, what are, how would you feel if they didn't nag you? Right. How would you feel if they didn't do all this stuff? Would you feel like you were loved? So you got to kind of show the kids. It's good that you have that because you, and you tell kids, you'll never know the feeling until you have a kid, what that feels like. And once you get there and some of my kids that I've had as players, like three or four of them just recently had babies. And I told them, just wait when that moment happens, when the baby pops out and your whole life changes and the whole outlook on everything you always think is important is all gone. And I get texts, Z, you are so right about that. <laughs> oh my God, everything just changed. All I wanted to do was work, go to work more. I wanted to do, I go, yeah, it just changes you because that means you're a good kid and you were raised good, you know? Some people don't have that, atta- uh, you know, that, that, that attraction to a kid like that. Don't feel that way, you know? Do you have any rules against social media with your players, like them being allowed to use it? Because, I mean, it, just from when we were in school, I mean, I think I got my first cell phone after I graduated. I yeah. mean, it, it's like so radically different. Well, the, we, we go over that stuff with the kids, especially with my, I talk to the kids about being smart with your social media, not doing stuff. And for us, I mean, a lot of times I use Twitter a lot as a coach and Facebook just to publicize things with, with my program. And, you know, we, it's a great way for recruiting. And I have my kids use it for college recruiting. I mean, they can tag their, their, their highlights, their coaches. So it, it's unbelievable how much exposure the kids can get themselves if they know how to do it right. And I've had kids that have done it right and we've talked to kids about it. And my kids that want to play in college, I show them how to use it and what they got to do. The biggest thing is when we're playing teams, we don't need to be shooting our mouths off. You know, yeah. we, you know we don't need to do that. Give them that material. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> you just don't need to do that. And, and we've had some battles with some, some teams and I know other teams have, have done some stuff and my kids are like, coach, I'm like, I don't care. I said, dog, are, are we will be typing up our text on Friday night uh, or on Saturday afternoon at one o'clock? Our text will be sent. You know that's what I tell them. We that's when our message will be sent. And then you know you have some times where some of the teams fire stuff at us like crazy, and you know my kids are such they're chomping at the bit to respond to things, and I'm like, yeah, wait there's get on no the field. response yeah. better than taking a picture at the scoreboard at the no, end of the game. It, it, when you beat somebody, Love there's that. nothing they can say, so don't worry about it. That's our ultimate goal. And, you know, I, I just remember one of our kids did something once and he, he after a game, we beat a, we beat a rival and he just, there was a lot of stuff going back and forth and my kids were very good about it, I got to say. And he made one text at the end of the game and I, 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 I saw it and I was like laughing my butt off because it was so fitting. But I, I called him and said, that was hilarious. I can't like it, but it was hilarious. <laughs> but thank you. And this is my kid that, this is my, I mean, listen, I, I, we always have some kids on a team that you gotta you gotta reel in because they're just 
I mean, wild man. You play with him. <laughs> yeah, football, you play with one yeah. of the best ever. And TJ, I mean, you got to some of these kids when it's game time, you got to let them go because they're just motivation wise, excitement wise, spirit wise, they're off the charts. And this was my kid on this team who just sent a very nothing mean, just something that was perfect. And it was kind of like, oh, that was so. And, and I just I was applauding them for not doing it beforehand. So. And with the kids of social media, you got to tell them, anything you share, you like, you, you retweet, it's yours. You can just say, I liked it. Well, that's, then it's like you sent it. It's like mm -hmm. you did it. So yeah. you got to be careful because everything you do that to is, is going to be on you. you know? so, and, and that's stuff that the kids got to do and coaches sometimes. Yeah, we, gotta do, we all got to be smart with what we do with that and everything. And, and just be smart and just, you don't want to you know, offend people. You know? So that's the biggest thing that kids, and then don't want to give, like you said, bulletin board material to kids. Bulletin board yeah. See, I don't. I don't think people realize enough what you guys have to go through in the off season. Obviously, I know. Like, come August, I don't even call you anymore. I don't talk to you anymore. <laughs> it's like Lenny's in his own world till November, December. Hopefully, December. Yeah. But like some of the camps you have to do. I mean, I remember when you were interviewing for the head coaching job. I, I figured, oh, I got some business experience. Let me ask Lenny. Oh, Len, you prepare for the interview? What do you got? He's like, Yeah, I got it. I'm like, well, well, let me see. And, and you open up like a trapper keeper, almost a dictionary. Of, this is what I have. This is my guidelines. <laughs> this is my rules. My I'm like, wow. All right, never mind. Talk to you later. It was thick as a dictionary. But but some of the stuff that you've done for motivation, I talked to the guys about, we were going to implement it, is your point system. Yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about that if you can. Yeah. yeah um, I actually have this, and I actually got to get a credit. I, um, one of my friends is a coach up in Montclair, John Fiore. He's the one who actually gave me his guidelines. I wanted it, knew what he did. And he sent it to me, and I kind of changed it a little bit to fit my program. So basically, it's a point system. And the great thing in the way it works is, and to make it fair for, for, the, for the older kids, I always give, if you have years in the program, so say like, I'll just go through how the points work. So if you, that's what you want to go yeah, through yeah, the whole yeah. thing. Okay, it's pretty, in, pretty long. I know. That's, okay. So, so I, mean, I, I won't go too the, crazy about the, uh, it. So basically there's a point system based on how many years you're in the program. And the biggest, the biggest factor in this, the two things that are biggest factors is how many workouts you make percentage-wise to how many we have and how much your, what is your GPA. So basically like that's if cool. you have an A, you get 10 points. If you have a B, you get eight. If you have a C, you get C, six. If you have a D, you get four. And if you have an E or if you fail, you get zero. So if you're getting like D's and you're like, you know, you're getting two points or four points and somebody's getting A's, they're going to, because that's based on, you know, end of, uh, first semester, second semester, that counts twice. So if you don't do that, you might be behind 15 points on somebody. And these points come down to like, you got a lot of kids tied at the top with stuff. So I also give points based on, you know, I told you the workouts and then we do a lot of charity work. We do a lot of volunteerism, a lot of community service. So if you do, if you show up at things that I, I put as a priority for stuff, you get three points. If you come to a meeting that I think is important, you get a point. If you do this, you get a point. So there's all different ways the kids can get points. And um, the biggest thing I do with the, with the uh, with the points is I hold there's things that I can hold over the kids' heads. Like I know, like the the things that the kids all want is you know our locker room. We have these nice sit-in lockers that are like a college locker kind of well, not what they look like nowadays, but there's like a sit-in place where you can sit in it and everything. So there's only 24 of them. So point total leaders get first shot at the locker room. So they go in there, they put their name on a locker, and they take it. They get first shot at equipment, which means when I call out the list, oh, number one with the points, and sometimes you have one, two, there's, there's sophomores that are up there ahead of seniors. So, I mean, there's sometimes that happens, and sometimes there's a little intimidation that goes on, but I'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> but I talk to the kids, and, and listen, we'll have, 
And the other biggest thing is jersey numbers. Right. So if you have a number and you pick a number as a sophomore and you get this number, it's like, oh, I want this number for three years, for my next two years. And I look at them and say, well, you got to earn it. You got to earn right? it. And yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah. if somebody comes in with a higher point total and takes it, it's theirs. And you got to, you know, I tell them, you can get that back, but you might cost you some money. You know, it might cost you something because mm. the kids can, I said, listen, you can, you yeah. can wheel and deal. You know, I know I, I, I laugh at it. My son had good point total his one sophomore year and he wanted it. He had a big locker and one of the seniors wanted it. And he came home and told me, what do I do? I said, well, I tell you exactly what I tell everybody else. It's yours to give up. And I tell my seniors, if you intimidate a kid or you try to force it that way, then you will not get it because I will find out about it and I will take it away from you. So I tell, and he, the one kid offered him 50 bucks and he gave him the locker. You know, some of these kids that get it, I'm like, are you okay with this? Yeah, coach. I said, okay. And I, and I laugh. I said, that's fine. This is yours. This is, this is how the, the, the market works. This is how it works for life. If you want <laughs> something that somebody true. has, yeah, yeah. you got to what? You got to yeah. pay them and you got to do this. So it's just a matter of, it teaches them what real life is about, you know, that, you know, and I love, it. I say to the kids all the time, we are an effort-based program. If you put in no effort, you don't get anything. You know, if you put in a lot effort you will get things but at the end of the day the best kids are going to play i don't care you might be the best kid have the highest point total every year but if you can't play football I, you're not going to play it's just that simple yeah. that's where that, that will no take good. care of it but any kid any kid can play for me you might come out and have no points but hopefully you're eligible because you got grades but if you have some points and you you don't have to do a thing all off season but you're not going to get a good choice of locker. You're not going to get a good a good equipment. You're not going to get the number you want. But if you come out there and you're the best player, you're going to play. I, that's I'm a coach. I got to put the best kids on the field. But this is how I motivate my kids in the off season, and I hold it over them every at all times. And it's been good for me. And I've had you know, I've had some kids that made a, that have made us think about it. But I, I really don't care. I just tell them, <laughs> listen, that's the list. You want to check it? I, and I post I post updates to it constantly. And this year it's been thrown into, uh, I can't even use it right now. I can only use it for the, the fall, the winter, because after that everything has been thrown into into a whole like uh, you know monkey wrench with the whole um, pandemic. But it's just it's a great thing that I use and, and I love it and it's something that I'll, I'll always use as far as my in my program. It's just yeah. it's just accountability, man. How do you how do you keep track of everything you want them to do? Bang, there it is right there. Well, I think it comes back to the, to keeping the kids motivated, obviously. Mm -hmm. But one thing that even when we were when we were younger, they, we had every single Friday we did charts from the previous mm -hmm. week. And yeah. I think this is an extension of that. So charts Thursday. is, you know. You, Friday for you, but now we played on Saturday. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to play on Saturdays every time. So the charts would say you'd have them all lined up along the, the yep. locker room. Every single one, you'd see where you are in total. So you're talking about sacks. You're talking about hurry-ups. Yep. Uh, bell ringers back in the day. I don't know if you have those anymore. <laughs> anyway, no comment. Yeah, Unsung we, hero, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think, uh, and then you get stickers on your helmet from, from that. So everyone looked forward to that. Everyone got excited about that. And I think, you know, back to what you were saying with the point system, it's doing the little things right every day. Like we had one guy that started with us. He was doing the little things right every single day. He, he wasn't seeing the sales come in, but he was making the calls. He was contacting people, doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden a waterfall of sales come in. So and it's, it's all about teaching people to do the right things every day. It's about the process, not about the, the results. Mm -hmm. So at first you start with the process and then the results are going to come. Yep. Um, but um, I wanted to ask you about a few other things. So you talked about some of the events that you do, the charities. I mean, we just talked about, uh, you mm -hmm. know, obviously the car washes, you do all that kind of stuff for fundraising. But you talked about the uh, Surf for Autism. Mm -hmm. I'd like to hear about some of the charities you guys do. Yeah, we, uh, through the course of the year, there's a couple of things that we do. Um, Right, so if I go through it the whole season, we you know during our season, you know we really don't do a lot of stuff during the season, right. and then once we exit the season, then we got other things that go on. So from there tonight, actually tonight we're going to it. 
It's called the uh, Brick Rec uh, Department and the uh, the POAC, which is the Parents of Autistic Children. They have what's called, an, they do an autism surf day. And it's, I got to say, it's one of the best things that we do as a group. Um, basically, we go to Brick Beach 3 and we work in conjunction with the lifeguards at Brick Beach and a couple other volunteer organizations. And our team comes out there and you basically take these kids that this is their best day of the year. They go out to the beach and these kids that sometimes they're going to fight you on this tooth and nail. They're going to, and you warn our kids, listen, these kids, sometimes they get startled. They're going to swing. Be ready. Just be ready. To, you know, something <laughs> yeah, could happen. Swivel. <laughs> and some of these kids, all of a sudden they get on that surfboard and there's 10 kids on the surfboard guiding them in on the waves. And you see smiles on their face that you've never seen before. Awesome. And some of our kids that have never really been, because we get high school kids. It's some of these kids have never been involved with something like this until they come with us. And then I always get them together afterwards and say, all right, somebody tell me, how did that make you feel? And it's like just made me feel like like I just did so much for a kid that, you know, is so unfortunate than me. And it just made me feel like a better person. I said, that's all you wanted to do. You know, and then okay, I give the kids hours. They got stuff they got to do for an honor society, for all these things and, and volunteer. So you get the credit for that. But the part is you want to see them understand of the credit you want them to really understand is how they feel inside and how they feel about themselves. And that's where I think it's great that we do it. Um, and I love the, the fact of how many kids uh, we have that volunteer for it every year. We, we usually have probably without 40 to 50 kids there. And this year, because of the concerns, we really can't have that many kids. We're limited to how many kids can come. But I told the other kids they can come and, and watch. So I wouldn't doubt if 30 of my kids come and watch because they can't participate, but they want to be there. So that's probably what we'll have tonight. But I mean, it's just a great thing that we do. The other thing we'll do is we have a charity basketball game that we've been playing. It's actually started my senior year in high school. I know you played in it. Uh, it's basically like the Helping Hands basketball game we do with the Brick Township Police Department. And the police department actually picks a person from our community that's uh, down on their luck with a health issue. Maybe their kid is fighting something or something in the family is. Usually it's for the kids and the parents have to co quit working or do something to, to help uh, you know, with the kid's sickness. So we'll do something like that every year. And we've done it every year. It's been going on since 1990, my senior year, that we've done it. And basically, you know, at the end of it, I mean, our kids, and this is what I tell them, it's, it's, it's a great thing for me to be able to say it. But I tell the kids that we, they have tickets to sell. So I give each kid a stack of 10 tickets. I said, once you sell these, you come back to me. And it's like $2 or $3, depending on if you're a kid or an adult. I said, but you can sell them for whatever you want to. And whoever brings in the most money is a starting five. I said, I can be bought. This is where I can be bought. You come in here. It's all about money. I can be bought. Yeah, I said, yeah. I'll, this is charity. Money talks. And I tell That's the kids. Right. You, and I keep track of who brings in the most money. And sometimes it might be the worst starting five in the history of basketball. But I don't really don't care. I, I said, listen. In the fourth quarter, we try to win the game. Right. I said, other, before that, there's a list. Just like the point total. There's a list from one to ten. Whoever many seniors we got. And whoever brings in the most money, and it could be the best player on our team, could be number 10. And he's going to get less reps than the other guys. And we just, every two minutes, I just keep rotating them in. And there's, it's funny because maybe five kids in that first group that not one of the kids can dribble a basketball. <laughs> Guess what? We're in trouble. But then the other group might be all the best players, but, you know, that's what happens. And then we take, and one year I had a kid that didn't play football. But he came in and said, you want to coach? I really want to play. Can I? I go, listen. You bring in a hundred bucks, I'll, I'll I'll let you play in the game. I talked to the captains; they said they'll let you play. Okay, kid pulls a hundred dollars out of his pocket. Said, I want to play. I said, hey, I can't be bought. Let's go. You know? so, I said I can't put you up there with the first group. I go, I, said, I don't want to do that to my guys. And again, I told you, it's just a matter of having fun with it. And we've we've raised probably my team alone because I have the seniors raise the ticket money. I have the younger kids walking around with a jug at school. We've probably brought in close to a thousand bucks every year for that that we give to that. And the police department does an unbelievable job. I mean, it's up to twenty, thirty thousand dollars. It gets That's to, awesome. so it's unbelievable with that. 
And then what we've other started doing, we've done a thing called a spring cleanup. We started when we first actually did it the first time. We did it for one of our families in our program that was dealing with a financial hardship because the mother was battling cancer, so she wasn't working. So we raised money and gave and gave it to the family. And this year we've kind of taken that. After after we did that, what we've done is we've had those kids. The next team would do our what we call a spring cleanup, where we'd go around in, in brick and we'd have our kids basically like clean up your yard after the spring, like pick up this leaves, all that kind of stuff. And you'd give a donation of like a, a, over a hundred bucks. And we would do that. And we take some of that money and a portion of that went from, from our team to that same thing. Cause basically they were very close to um, time frame when, when those two events happened. And it was more of a way for the younger kids to give to it as well as the older kids selling the ticket. So we've done good raising money for that. And, um, you know, then uh, little things here and there, anything that comes up, we did a Greenbrier cleanup when the flood happened at Greenbrier, yeah. one or two right over and yeah, uh, yeah. by exit 91. We went over there and we, you know, we cleaned out some people's houses that have basically everything they own, you know, and not some people that don't have great means, but we've, we cleaned out their houses. We took everything out. We did this, we did that. So we had a team involved with that. Our team was involved in Sandy with helping that. So our kids, whenever something comes up, we're there and people call me with something, we're there. And if there's something that, you know, that we can't do, I mean, we can't, but there's probably nothing we'll say no to. Well, and it reminds me, obviously the Sandy thing, just how the guy's going around to every single place in Cherry Quay, for instance, yeah. Shore Acres. That was amazing. But also wanted to touch base on uh, the Geisler brothers, see yeah. how they're doing. Because that, gonna bring that, up, that yeah. just brought the whole community together. The whole yeah, community. That was, I mean, that thing just That took went viral, off. man. That viral, was crazy. Man. I was never, I mean, we were talking about it. And uh, when, when, um, you know, when one of the boys texted me, he said, Coach, you know, Pat and uh, Tyler's, uh, it's actually their grandmother. She's not doing good. She's in the hospital. I'm like, really? Like, oh man. And then I'm like, I gotta give them a call. So I get called at night, I give them a call. She had her doing, yeah, coach, we're fine, we're fine. Are you sure? sure everything's good? Yeah, we're fine, we're fine. I was like, okay, okay, grandma, she's okay. And then the next day, I hear from another kid, you know, their grandmother died last night. I'm like, what? Oh my God. And like, this is the way the kids are. They're never gonna ask for anything. So I, I called them, I said, guys, is that? I goes, yeah, well, grandma passed. And, and they were living in a hotel at Wanky's Motel in Point Pleasant, which I think a lot of you know is not the, the, the classiest place. So they were living there, they were behind on their rent. and. You know, I, I came over, I said, listen, the next, tomorrow I'm coming over and I'm taking you guys to breakfast and we got to talk about what we can do. So when I came to the house right away, I was like, oh my God, it was, it was just disgusting. I feel bad for the guys, but because they were so busy with trying to work to pay the bills, seeing grandma, nobody was taking care of the house. So we kind of just gutted the place. We, the, my parents stepped up right away and brought stuff for the kids and me, a couple of the coaches just gave some, you know, we went to the store, bought stuff for the kids right away to get the house settled. And then one of my coaches, Scott Lloyd, says, what if we do some type of GoFundMe for the kids? And I'm like, yeah, you think? You like, think people would give? He's like, yeah, I think they might. <laughs> so Scott's like, I'll set it up. All right. So Scott set it up. And all of a sudden, it was like, boom. I was like, what? The? And it went over like $70,000, went, And then we're like, wow. It's just unbelievable how it took off. The news covered it and everything. And, and the main thing it was because the kids were just, they would never ask for anything. They were two unassuming kids that would never ask for your help. You know, that's just the type of kids they are. Like if you gave them something, like I had people reach out to give them phones, to give them this, to give them that, furniture. And they would always say, well, can I, can I set up a payment plan? It's like, no, no. You sure I don't feel right about this? Can I give you? And they would people would say no. You're, I want you to be a kid. You don't. You shouldn't be dealing with this stuff. You've yeah. you've had to deal with this for your whole life, but you shouldn't be. And that's what all they said. I want you to be a kid, and they wouldn't take anything. And I remember one guy basically like almost cursing, cursing one of them. <laughs> don't give me anything. Put that back in your pocket. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, it was just awesome because they were treated like a kid. And he goes, uh, well, I remember the one guy. 
this guy uh, from up north, I, I forget his name, I gotta remember his name. He bought the boys two cell phones. Yeah. And he came down, he met with them, and he's like, listen, he has like uh, five kids at home. And this guy, basically another guy who kind of dragged himself, he lost his job, he drug himself out of the gutter and made himself, you know, earned everything back again. It's one of those great stories. And he said, listen, man, these phones are yours, boys. But I'm going to tell you, if you call on the phone and you start charging this, charging that, I'm going to come down here and kick in the ass like I would do my own kids. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's, you know, because he goes, I'm going to treat you like, like I would treat my own kids. And that's all you really can, uh, that, that was great how it turned out. And the money is in an in a, in a account for the boys, you know, and, and whenever they need something, they can get it from it. So it's just great that it's there for them. That's something that, you know, down the road, they're, they're actually doing well now. They're living with their older sister who has a baby and uh, her, her boyfriend. They're all together as a family under one roof. So they're actually, I talk to them on their birthdays and stuff. How's it going? Holidays? Good, good. We're celebrating here with each other. That's great to hear. So I just love to hear that there. And I try not to bother them too much. I just want to updates. Here they are. I get a call every once in a while. Coach, can we take? Sure. Go to the account. Take some money out if you need it for that. But they're doing well. And I'm just, they're just great kids. Great well, kids. I want to give a shout out too for that because I, I, I've started now giving closing gifts and going to, to Joe Leone's and getting gift baskets. And I shout out to Joe Leone because I heard he did some great stuff. And, yes, if you yeah. can, and he doesn't like the publicity. I know no, that. No, that's that guy is unbelievable. I mean, one of our kids actually still works there. Tyler, he gave Tyler a job. He said, "Listen, I'll give you a job here, and I'll pay you this, and and and, and you'll you'll be fine." And he did there, and he goes, "Listen, the kid's a great employee. He's not. I missed. I just heard what you said about him, and I that's the guy. That's the guy I want on my team, and yeah. that's where he's working there. And he's got a great connection with Joe, who who I think he wants to be a teacher down the road. So." Of the connections you can build up. That's what it's, it's kind of about, about in, in certain jobs. Yeah. So he's doing a great job there working. He's getting raises when he needs to get raises, and he's earning his money, and he's, he loves it being there. And I know he gave him a lot of food and all that stuff. Oh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. And I'll take some of that, Joe. No, I'm oh, listen, he gave me, he told me, <laughs> Coach, because I want you to go in there and fill up whatever you want, take it home. I'm like, Joe. Don't tell me that. I'm like, this, this is my place here. Man. I'm going to take every piece of sausage and mutts and peppers that you got here. He goes, take it all. I'm like, oh, my God. So I filled up a bunch of stuff, and I ate like a king for Two days now. <laughs> <laughs> a little um, longer than that. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so obviously, I mean, great stories, man, yeah. with the charity and where you where you ended up and everything. Now we're dealing with this crazy pandemic. Yeah. So what's the what's the game plan for Brick and your coaching program on where you guys are going mm -hmm. with that? Like how you, how you're going to be doing practices yeah. and well, just for me, I mean, for the way I mean, me as a coach, I I'm like I'm a little messed up where I kind of loved. I just, there's a grind with being a coach in the off season and how much workouts. I'm usually there five in the morning. I'm there after school for the kids' workouts. So I'm usually in contact with my kids at all times. So having this has been driving me nuts because I can't constantly see the kids. I can't constantly get on them. I can't constantly like kick them in the butt when they need to and, and be there when they need me. So it's been rough for me, but I mean, our school district has done a great job, you know, and everything they've planned for the kids. And for us right now, we're basically... We're going to be entering phase one of our, our summer recess plan. And we just had a meeting this morning about it. So basically July 13th, 15th, 20th, and 22nd, we're allowed to start practices with the kids. But we really can't implement a ball use yet. Got to still, we've got to do all social uh, distancing guidelines, masks when needed. So it's just going to be more of like doing a lot of workouts with the kids to try to get them towards getting in shape. We're not going to put them in shape in, in four days. But this is the phase one, and then there'll be phase two, and phase two is coming out on Friday. So it's just a matter of doing everything right, getting the kids set up in groups. And our athletic department, you know, Pete Panuska, our superintendent, you know, Tommy Fowler, have been doing a great job of just 
giving us guidance and everything that we need to do and telling us every step of the way what we need to do, doing it the right way. So, you know, we have a good distance, a good district that loves academics, but they love athletics and they know the importance of them. So it's just great to have that and have that support. So I feel confident about everything that we do will be done first class to prevent anything from being transferred transferred from us. I mean, listen, the kids, you go to the beach, the kids are there, you go here, they're there, you go there, they're all hanging out together. But when they come here, masks on six feet away. So we, we got to abide by that rule. And it's going to be tough for some of these kids to do that because some of the kids haven't done it that much, you know, because the kids, the kids are kids. They don't realize what's going on. They know, they know probably the dangers of it, but they all feel they're invincible. Like we all did when we were kids. So, I mean, if they don't have, you know, they could have gotten it and not noticed it. So, you know, there's going to be things that we got to deal with, with the kids and going forward with this, but I'm just hoping that we're back in school and, and we have our, our fall season because that's just something that we just don't know where it's going to be then. You know? yeah. Are they talking about like games with no attendance and you guys are just playing? Well, we'll actually, we have we have our graduation tomorrow. My son's a senior, so we're having which is great our graduation, which is going to be done in two sessions. You know, split the alphabet in half, split the kids in half. Two parents can go do the graduation ceremony, and then you know it's kind of be a condensed version, but at least it's something. Yeah. So we'll have that, and then going forward. Um, we, that's all stuff that we, I can imagine that's all the stuff that we'll have to deal with. Who can be at the games? Who cannot? Can we even have indoor sports? Can we not? You know, our schedule, how is it going to work? Are all the kids going to be in school together? Are all they not? You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to, to worry about with this. And, you know, some of us, we got to look at is as teachers and educators. I mean, a lot of the kids probably won't be phased by this, but some of the teachers are getting older. I mean, some of them could be at high risk. Right. So you got to worry about the health of the teachers too. So it's just so many things that, that come into play with this where, I know between our union and between our district, they'll they'll put us in uh, the, where we need to be successful. And if if something happens where we can't have a season, you know, I just something I really don't really want to think about. And it's not even something that I'm even preparing for because you can't. Pre- it's like preparing to lose something. You don't want to prepare to lose something. Right. Nobody goes in and say, "Hey, man, we're going to sell this house probably for five thousand under." You know uh, what we're asking, so we're going to do it. No, <laughs> nobody wants to do that. So you're not going to lower your goal. Our goal is we're going to have a season, and we're going to do this, and we're not going to think about. If we don't, you know, right, not right. in this market, by the way, <laughs> not, not, not in this not market, over, you know? yeah. not in this market. No, but I did want to bring up two questions here or one question um, that I haven't asked you yet because I'm scared of you still about it. Um, oh, so you're behind the mic here. So, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm protected. Well, I, if m- most people don't know, but Lenny is older than me. I, we always get this question. I'm yeah. taller than him. And he always asks, who do you think's older? And he takes this as almost a badge of honor. But I think it's because I'm taller and usually a taller person. It's because you have no hair. Old. You're losing hair. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask you how two certain losses affected you. So I, don't don't jump across the bit. I didn't even ask you this ever. But no. so obviously you had two state championship uh, games that you played in uh, against Allenwood, as, uh, Allentown as a, t- as a coach. Uh, obviously, high school is a different story, but so against Allentown, a completely different loss than the one against Long Branch. Um, Long Branch was head to head. That was an awesome game. What a battle! They, they were amazingly talented. So I wanted to ask you what you learned from those. How maybe it reinvigorated you? Mm-hmm. You know, funny before we we started here, you just showed me a picture of the Allentown scoreboard when you guys lost. So th- that right there makes me realize that it still sticks in your mind and it motivates yeah. you every day. So. Oh, it's as a coach, there's things that motivate you. And, you know, we talk about that picture of uh, the Allentown scoreboard. We're at Rutgers and it's just seeing, I mean, it was the worst playoff loss in the history of Brick Township High School, which is a storied history. So that didn't sit well with me. I mean, I was the coach of the team that had the worst loss. And, you know, we were at that day, we were out coached, we were outclassed and we just didn't get the team prepared to play. And I look at that as a, as a setback for me and the staff. And we, we've talked about that. And how do we get better from that? 
You know, that loss was, you know, when you lose something like that, it's, it's, I hate to say it, but it's a little easier than when you lose a close game. When you lose a close game, there's everything you got to question, every little thing you did. Yeah. When you lose a game where you're just totally outclassed, you know, you feel upset, you feel like you could have done more, but it's kind of like, you know, at halftime, it was almost like, oh, God. And the kids, you're trying to motivate them, and they're, and they're just looking, they, you see the look in their eyes, and you know, it, like, as a coach, you're like, you never want to say it, but it's like, man, we're going to have to do something amazing to try to compete with this team. They're just that much better than us. But Long Branch was not like that. It was back and forth, and you know, there's questions. I look at stuff, and I'm like, I wish I would have done this. This probably would have been better. That That's where you question every little thing that you've done because it could have made a difference. You know, one play could have changed the game. You know, I know there's a couple of things that I look at that in a game saying, man, if I would have, I should have done this, I should have done that. I could have. And that's what you look at, you know, but then you look back in your preparation. You're like, Oh, we did prepare for everything. You know, something that they beat us on. Did we prepare for that? Yes, we did. And then, you know, it comes to the point of, you know, and you don't want, you're never going to blame a kid. That's not the way I was brought up with coach Wolf. It's always the coach's fault. But then you look at things and you're like, all right, well on this play, you know, we didn't make the play. This, this kid was in a position to make a play. Didn't this kid could have done that. He didn't, I could have called something better. I didn't. And that those things are going to come up. So, you know, that stuff, but again, it's always going to be the coach's fault and, and forever, as long as uh, coaches are at Brick Township, that's the way coach Wolf instilled it to all of us. And, and it's, it's true. I mean, but it's something that that's the way we always feel about it. But I mean, those those losses they motivate you because you know that's the last thing you remember. You know, it's and it's it's rough. But as a when you're playing in championship level and you're playing in December, you know, only somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. So half the teams are going out of losers. So yeah. and how are you going to motivate yourself by that? And then for me, it's goes into the off season. You know, I usually give the kids a month off where I don't want to see you. Get away from me. I don't want to go do something else. Go around, hang out here, and then after that, we're going to start up and get ready for the next season. You know, we'll do our, during that time, we'll talk to the kids, exit interviews and see about how they feel about everything and, you know, how they felt about the season and stuff and just getting, and I love talking to the seniors most because they give you the real, they just tell you real what, what they liked, what they didn't like. And it's good because it makes, it makes everything better. Yeah. You know, as, as you know, you kind of treat this as like a corporation and, you know, you got to find out how can we get better for next year. And, uh, you know, this year, especially we had a losing season, my first as a coach, and it's, it's made me look at myself a lot. Like, all right, what do we got to do better? What do we got to do this? You know, we're making changes that I think are better for the team. And, and um, it's stuff that I'm not happy to how, the, how we did last year and what I think we could have been better. And I got to change things. And that's what you got to look at yourself constantly. You know? Well, one thing I remember from that, obviously the Allentown loss, um, I – Ada still remembers. Probably one of the most mad I've ever been in my life. And I would just storm that stadium out of there. But um, what I remember is I think it was either the next year or the year after, on the way to play Long Ranch, you played an Allentown team. And I just saw the motivation in the kids' eyes. Uh, you had some amazing leaders on that team, mm -hmm. in my opinion. And they, they took it to them really hard. And they, they, they had passion in their game that day. So yeah. I was really amazed by that. And I want to talk a little bit about leadership. Obviously, you as a leader, as a coach, that that's obvious, but also want to talk about: Do you find yourself trying to choose kids that you think are going to be the leaders of the team? You try mm -hmm. to grab the person that's going to have the best qualities, you know, have the highest points, that kind of thing. Do you feel like it's that important to try to push up a leader in within the team? Well, for me, I I don't pick my captains. You know, we have a thing, and, and you know it, it. There's a varsity club hierarchy of, of of leadership that we use and basically we have a president we have a vice president we have a secretary we have a treasurer and we have three sergeant of arms and basically what we do is we have a vote for that at the end of the season when we go into our bernie cook dinner which is our father's son dinner all the returning players will vote for the captains for the next season and the kids vote for their captains and they come in to this dinner and they all vote they all get a ballot they all vote 
And we, all, we try to tell them, listen, it's not a popularity contest. We want the best guys. And for the most part, the kids are going to put their best leaders up there. And we've had two years ago, we had a real good team. And one of the leaders in that team is kid Jake Weinkoop. He wasn't one of our kids that are like one of the best players on our team. He was one of the hardest workers, but he was the best leader on that team because the way he spoke and the way he always motivated everybody. And you know, he didn't have the football background that a lot of our kids have and playing from when they were five years old. But he just he was just an unbelievable speaker. He was he's he's at playing at Cornell right now, playing sprint football. So he's he's brilliant. His two his parents are both doctors. He's just a great kid. And his vocabulary and the way he spoke, like I was in awe of him sometimes. I look at this kid going, wow, like just the way he used it. And it was just like, you get kids like that. And that team had a lot of great football players on it, but this was the kid that was their captain because they knew nobody could touch him when it came to being the leader. And that's what you, what you like about it. And for me, the way we do our varsity club and our voting, I've added another thing into that because I always want to make it. I always, I always thought about the kids and I thought of myself when I was a senior, I didn't get voted as one of those guys. So I always wanted to say, there's a way we can do this better. So what I've done is I've added in what we call is we call it the re-election. So what we do is in July on our last day of summer practices before we go a week off and then we get into camp, we have a revote. And what I tell my kids is any senior that, you know, and I I've, have opened it up to juniors in the past where I didn't think we had the leadership we needed. And if you want to apply, if you want to go for one of those jobs, I give you an application packet. You got to fill it out. You give it to me. And then you have to go out in front of the team at this night of our last practice. And we're in, a, we're in the cafeteria, lights off, there's one shining light on, and you have to go there and I'm going to interview in front of the whole team. And you're going to answer questions about why you should be uh, in that spot. So what happens is now all the kids that want their spots again, they got to go up there and answer the questions too. And then the team will re-vote. And I say, listen, if you if those guys that are up there, those seven guys, if they're all the top point total guys on the team and they're doing everything right, then you know there's no ch- need to change it. And you vote accordingly. But if you think there's one of these guys and you know he was voted as the captain, but he's number 40 on the point total, has he done what he's supposed to do? Not really. So maybe it's time to vote somebody else out. And the great thing about it is every year, I shouldn't say great, but the way I know it's working is that every year somebody has been voted out and somebody else has been put on. So it's great for the kids that saw the fact of, man, I wish I can get on that list. I want to be there. You know what? I'm going to work my butt off to prove to everybody they should have voted for me the first time. So now it gives everybody an opportunity to say, all right, well, I have a chance to get back on that team. And it also gives the kids who are the upcoming players that will vote a chance to understand who is the better leader. Now that these kids are in the, in the, in the spotlight of being a leader, do they do their job? Do they do it the right way? Are they doing nothing to help us? Okay, then we'll vote them out. So it's kind of like the revote, which we call. And I think it's been great for us because it's always, it's proven that the kids voted the right guys on or it's proven that somebody didn't deserve to be there. So that's kind of how we, what I've added to that. And it's been very successful for us so far. It sounds like off-season accountability too. Well, again, you know, if you're not going to do anything, do you still deserve to be captain? Right. No, you don't deserve to be captain. So right, yeah, yeah, if they understand. vote off everybody, then they vote off everybody. But, you know, most of the time the kids, kids know kids. They know who's real. They know who's doing the right thing. And, you know, sometimes you get that popularity vote thing. And sometimes it takes care of itself because any one of those kids on that on that captain's uh, basically that those seven kids can be the vocal guy. I mean, if one guy's better at speaking than everybody else, he's going to be the last guy to talk all the time. So the kids know who the guy is. They might have voted for this guy because he was this or he was that, but this is the guy they want to hear from before they come out to the game. Right, know? right, right, right. Is it usually like 
whoever the captain's being voted for, like, is it usually a runaway or does he ever have a close tie? It's it's close. It's close. I mean, it's close the way it works out. And we look at the numbers and we're looking at it going, damn. And if there's like need for a revote or something or, or there's a runoff, we'll have a runoff with something. We'll tell the kids, listen, we got this, this is tied or this is this. And and it's like, I tell the kid sometimes, listen, I see it in your eyes. And when when we announce the team, I have one of my assistant coaches comes up and he announces it as far as the captains. And all I do is watch the other kids. I watch the kids that I think possibly could have been on that list, and I want to see their reaction. And then after the thing, I go up to them and say, hey, that's why we have the revote. You're a kid that could possibly be in one of those spots. Prove the kids that they were wrong. Prove it to the kids that you deserve to be there. And some of the kids are motivated by it, and, and, and a lot of them are. I shouldn't say that, but a lot of them are. And it just it works so good because it just gives you that second chance where it's like, oh, man, I am just started my junior year, and I did not even a chance to be a captain. Nope, you have a chance to get back up there, so. That's yeah. awesome. It seems like the best teams are the ones where the players are doing the self-regulating. As a coach, I, I might want, I mean, I say it to my kids all the time, and it's, it's you know, it's, it's being real with kids and saying, and I've had it in the past. I've had kids in, you know, that I've coached and kids that I, when I was assistant coach, and I would say to the kids, and this is one phrase that I've used, and, you know, I mean, it's high school kids, and, you know, you know, we all know our drinking ages and stuff, but we all know what happens. I've said, kids, listen, you know, as much as I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't like it, you're the leader of this team. The problem is you're taking the team right to the keg. I said, that's not helping us. Yeah. You know, you're not leading the right way. This kid, this is the kid I want to be the leader because I love his values. I love what he stands for. But that's not who the kids are following. They're following this kid. And if I can win that kid over, then now I have a chance to get the whole team going where we want to go. Right. And that one kid one year I had, you know, as a coach, I tried to get that kid. I've tried everything in high school to get that kid to see it my way and see what I was telling him. And it didn't happen till. The end of his senior year, after he even played football, I think it was like in April, he came to my office and wanted to sit down and talk. And he just said to himself, he told, he told me, I just kicked myself for not listening to you. There's so many things that you told me that I should have listened to that I'm kicking myself now. And I always tell the kids, listen, there's the one thing that I'm going to tell you. I'm going to be hard on you. I'm going to push you. I'm going to push you until you either quit or you follow along with what I'm saying but the one thing that you will never tell me and you will never come back and ever say to me, coach, I think I could have been better if you would have just pushed me harder. Yeah. I, that's something I won't be able to live with. I'll look at that kid and I'll probably bust out crying right there because I'm like, I let this kid down. I didn't get the most out of him. I'd rather have you come to me and say this where I wish I would have listened to you. I know now I see what you're telling me. That, as much as I, I feel bad for the kid, at least I can sleep at night. Yeah. But if it's the other way, I'd probably be up for a week. And I'm thinking, oh my God, how did I let this kid down? And that's where I say, this is what you know, makes me sane as a coach. Right, and now right. I can deal with it. But that's, I mean, that's still a win. That kid realized it that early in that his life. That kid did, yeah. Again, you know, he's young he's now, and now there. he calls that's me. Great. I get texts from him all the time. Coach, I want to put you down as a reference for this. I want to do, <laughs> can you do this for me? Anything you need, anything you need. And he calls me, he texts me constantly about things. And the kid needs to find his way. And he is finding his way. And it's great because he realizes that I always did have his best interests in mind. You, you, know, you might see me talk about to the kids, and I talk about the dangers of alcohol, drugs, and all the vaping and everything now, and the kids don't want to hear it. Some of them don't want to hear it, but then once they finally hear it, they realize, man, coach was talking about this, he talked about this. Man, I guess he really did care. I mean, he's talking about all these things that I should be doing to make myself better. I just thought he was being a nag. And I say, well, who else was being a nag like that? Well, my mom, my dad. <laughs> okay, well, that's my point. These are the people that care about you most, and you think they're just nagging you because uh, they don't understand what it's like to be a kid. You're right. None of us know. We've always been there, but none of us know, right? We so that's the hard where, way, right? Well, that's so, what, what happens that's, sometimes. That's the thing. We don't want our kids to learn the hard way or you know, lose a couple, couple years because 
they were doing drugs or something yeah. like that. And no, that's out on football because you can't go back to high school, right? Nope. You can go back to college. Yep. Can't go back to high school. Uh, some of these kids, I mean, it's like the way they find it earlier. And again, it all comes with parents too because I can say whatever I want to, but if the parents aren't backing it up, then it's really going to go in one, or, in one ear or out the other. Well, I, and I wanted to bring up about, you know, being a coach that you, there's players coaches, they call it, and they're friendly and they're, they're always getting along with the players versus being the one that might say something that they don't like. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you have to do that just to be that that one that's looking out for them. So, I mean, what's what's one of like the most difficult things you have to do with players to discipline or, you know, something to get them right on the right track? Any kind of incident like that do you remember that you well, might have again, to- I mean, I've I've had the last year I had to cut a kid off my team for the first time. And, you know, the one reason, I mean, I when I was my first my first year coaching, you know, coach Wolf was never a guy that wanted to cut a kid off the team. He always felt like and I, and I feel the same way. You know, and I, we we would say it about certain kids and and it's the quote of this kid needs football more than football needs him. And we would say that because the kid needs to be here. He needs to be around us. He needs to be around these kids. He needs to have the accountability because if he doesn't, then who knows where he's going. Mm-hmm. And we've had a kid, our, I remember my first year, this kid, Johnny Vaccaro, that um, you know, coach was trying for so many things and he was going down the wrong path with doing the wrong things. And you know, finally coach let him go off the team. He almost basically cut himself off the team. And a couple months later he was dead. You know, he got into an accident and he died and overdose kind of stuff. And it was like, to this day, I still remember that kid. And last year when I had to do it to a kid, it was just, I felt like this kid needs us more than we need him, but I can't have him on the team anymore because of, I wasn't sleeping at night knowing that, you know, some of the things that I think this, this person was doing. And I wanted, I didn't want it to spread throughout the team. I thought it could be, you know, I had, we, and I hate to say that we use it like this sometimes, but you know, you use the bad apple spoils the bunch and you use terms like that. And sometimes it does, it can fester. If you have a bad attitude and you let it sit, it can fester and it could, it could destroy a team because you know, misery loves company sometimes. So I tell the kids about drugs. I said, people that are high and get drunk and, and do this, they want misery around them. They want kids that want to do it with them because if you're miserable, then you'll do it with them and you'll keep make them happy because they're not doing it by themselves. <laughs> yeah. I said, got other guys here with me, but the kids that are don't do this stuff is because they have a good life. They have good this, everything is good in their life. So they don't need to feel good and have some other way to make themselves feel good. So that's where you tell the kids that if somebody's constantly pushing this stuff on you and wants you to do this with them, then they really just don't care about you. If they can just not respect the fact that you don't want to do it, then it, again, misery loves company. So they want to try to bring people down with them. You know. Yeah, we have the same saying, man. Slow to hire, fast to fire. Mm-hmm. It's I guess it's obviously a bit of totally different mindset of coaching, yep. and I respect that. But I mean, with our industry, I mean, if we have a, if we have cancer, I don't care how that how good of a producer that person is, we could want ruin him out. your name. Yeah. We want him out. You know. So we've made those decisions over the years. So, I, but I respect it, man. That you guys try to develop that person yeah. because, you know, sometimes these people don't have well, they're still the young. family, yeah. friends to support uh, them. We're dealing the, with that. I mean, right. like you said, we're dealing with kids, broken homes, single parent right. households, right. more and more financial hardships with parents. You know, we're getting more and more minority kids in, in Brick Township, you know, with, uh, you know, Spanish speaking kids and stuff that don't, parents don't speak English. So it's just tough with the, with the language barrier. But some of these kids have unbelievable work ethics, you know, because they have a family core. But the kids that don't have the family core, sometimes it's tough. They're not getting it from somewhere. And so that's where we need to fill that in. And I know I've had kids and I've helped kids in the past. And, you know, I, you know, I talked about Pat and Tyler, but there's two boys that I coached years ago. You know, there's two kids, Nick and Joe Cusinelli, who kind of were just like Pat and Tyler. But I remember helping them out when they were younger. And now 
you know, Joey has his own house. He works as a successfully successful uh, HVAC guy. He has his own business. His brother Nick is a cop in Lakewood, and they're successful. They have houses, and they came from nothing. Their mother now is a nurse. I mean, everything. They, their whole family has lifted themselves up because they were there for each other. And it's great to see how successful these kids are now. And these kids that came from nothing. So I know it can happen to anybody. It doesn't matter you have the right family around you, you know, and somebody needs to be that for those kids. You know? I, I want to try to turn it onto a positive. Though. I went a little negative there for a little bit. but <laughs> So I wanted to talk about more, any kind of very, um, I guess, some win that was very satisfying for you. You know, we talked about losses, obviously. Mm-hmm. I want to get off of that. But yeah. any wins that you really remember? I've, t- I've talked about the uh, Allentown victory too, but anything that you personally felt like that was great for you or for the team mm-hmm. or vice versa or, or both? There's, there's like three that stand out. And one, the first one was when I was an assistant coach. And I believe it was 2001. Um, we had had a thing at Brick where we had a couple of kids, you know, a bunch of seniors that were kicked off the team because they were at a party that there was drinking going on. And there was a policy that was written in the, in the Board of Ed that it was kind of a crazy policy where if you were at a party where there was underage drinking, no matter what, you were off the team. You were off athletic events. So basically, if you were at Fridays with your family and you're having dinner and somebody comes up with fake ID and gets a drink, is that in violation of it? So it was like a weirdest policy the way it was written. And there was a party that kids had went to and they were there. And because people were drinking there, they were underage, they all got kicked off the team. And I, gotta, I know it for a fact because the kids tell me to this day, half of them weren't even drinking. They were just trying to do the right thing. They were trying to be sociable, but they, then they got kicked off the team after their second game. And it stunk. And we had to, basically it happened on like a weekend. And we, I think we had, we had happened like on a Saturday or Friday. And we got the kids kicked off on Monday. And all of a sudden, we had to get a whole new team ready to play on Saturday. Wow. We had to put a whole bunch of kids in the, team, in the field. Fortunately, we had a pretty good sophomore class. And a lot of these kids had to play. But I remember with Kevin Campbell, who was our defense coordinator, Coach Wolf, we got, I think it might have been as far as the 12 positions on offense and defense, we might have had to get like 12 or 13 kids ready to play wow. in those positions. And we, were, we stayed late. We did this. We worked on the board. And we were going in to play Lacey, who was a good football team. They were good. They were, they were, they were, better, they were better than us. And we went into this game like, what is going to happen? And first play of the game, our big kid, this kid Wayne Niedermeyer, who coaches for me now, Beast. for some reason we had him on kickoff team. He was like six foot, 270 pounds. He was on kickoff. But he's a tank. I think it was kickoff. And he runs down and he knocks out their best player. First play of the game. <laughs> or, whoa! It was like just, it just snowballed from there. All of a sudden, this happens, this happens. And our one real good player, this kid Jimmy Lakoviak, had a great game. And we wind up winning 20 to nothing. And I remember after the game, we were having a few uh, uh, brown sodas after the game, as they're called. <laughs> and me and Kevin were sitting there going, what the heck just happened? And I was like, this is the best I've ever felt as anybody. He's like, I feel the same way. We just talked about it, how we had these kids, and how did we get this team ready to play? That was one of the best I've ever had. Um, another one was um, Allentown the next year after we lost to them in the state finals. We went to them, and we were playing, I believe it might have been the – First or second round of the playoffs, and we had to go there and play them. And they didn't have the same team. You know, they graduation and stuff. But we were going there. It was probably like, I think it was five degrees below zero or something. It was freezing. And our kids were just like so motivated. They were just ready to go. And they came out there, and we just took it to them. And, you know, as a coach, we were like, we just pounded them like, like they pounded us. And it was like very fulfilling 
Like, okay, we got a little bit of revenge. Yeah. You know, we <laughs> didn't, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's a playoff game. Yeah. But it was good. It was good. That was a, a good, you know, it gave us a little something. And then for us, you know, playing brick Memorial, we, that's our big rival. And we've been playing them the, you know, this year. We're not, you know, unfortunately, but we've been playing them first game a lot and it's always been a great rivalry. And, you know, I think there was a year, you know, we, um, you know, a couple of times that they, oh, they had our number. They were going to beat us this time. And I was hearing stuff that they were going to win. And, and we've kind of, you know, fortunately for us, we've, I think we've, I've haven't, as a head coach, I haven't lost to them. And we've been very fortunate because I have great kids that are motivated by, by winning that first game against them. And, um, you know, we've had some close ones that, that have gone down to the wire and it's a great rivalry. It's just one of the best things. And it says, I wish every team in, 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 in sports can have something like this, like we have with them. It's a friendly rivalry. It's, you know, it gets a little nasty. Kids are going to be kids. But on the field, it's really, I don't see, I don't know if we've had a 15-yard penalty on the field. It just doesn't happen. The kids go at it. And after the game, they're all friends. They talk to each other, you know, here and there. Some of the kids hang out with each other. But for that, you know, for that 48 minutes, it's it's a battle. And these kids let it all out. And every year, it's just a great, when you beat them, it's just, it's fun to, it's fun to have that, that victory. And those kids enjoy it. Very it's cool. Awesome. Anything else, guys? I yeah, mean, I mean, uh, I think, uh, you know, team sports is, is yeah. very important for the youth. Um, I think if you if you have kids, you know, you, you got to put them into something nowadays to, to yeah. get them away from the devices. And, mm-hmm. you know, more and more now kids are, like, not being social. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, the, yep. the, the key to team sports, you know, the three things that I'm pulling out from, from you just talking is accountability, number one. That seems paramount. Community is mm-hmm. very important. And mm-hmm. I think that shows the kids – you know, how to step outside of the football field and not be part yeah. of just the game and be part of the community. And then culture, like culture is huge. And that yep. seems like a trickle down. From, that's that's a from trickle Coach down. Wolf. Yep. Yeah. And, yep. and it's, it's still there. It's still solid. Yeah. yeah. And the communication of the expectations yep. to the kids, like they know what they're walking into. I mean, it's a storied history mm-hmm. over at, uh, over at old brick. So it's pretty, like Tom said about the, uh, your brick, you're expected to win. Yeah. You know, I still remember, and I still get talked to by some guys in media he said something his senior year. He was the varsity club president, right? Your senior year, he, you know, Tom had a lot of success in, in sports, and it's you know why he is the person he is today. But he said something in the paper once, and people to this day still bring it up to me. And he said, you know, Brick is that Notre Dame of high school football. Mm. You know, he said it, and people still say to this day that they remember him saying that. What you know, and it's, and it's you know, it's just it just like, you know, like either you love it or you hate it. It's right. kind of like what you're saying with that, and it's yeah. true. And I, true. you know, it's just the way it's I'm way it is kid. with us. We definitely didn't like. Yeah, my wife graduated from South, so yeah. there you go. You know, yeah, my wife and we, when we started dating, it was we were going back and forth with South Brick things. It was kind of funny, you know. But again, one thing for us, I mean, I'm gonna add one thing. I mean, you know, growing up in our house, we were very fortunate. You know, we had, I mean, between all of us, I mean, we're we're basically all six years apart. Like this, and then into this year. I'm going to be 49, Danielle will be 47, Steph will be 45, Tom will be 43. We're all real close. And one thing that I can say is my father worked a lot of hours. My mom was home with us a lot of the time. But every one of us, you know, we've all, we can say we're all successful in our own right. College graduates, I mean, I don't know for sure in every one of us, but I know for me, drugs and stuff, we, I drank a little alcohol in high school, college, but I, I don't think any one of us has ever gotten involved with drugs, fortunately for us. I, and all of us are successful with our families and stuff, our careers, and why our parents pushed us into sports. They made us accountable. And I still remember to this day, and I even tell, you know, I did it for my son to make him motivated by doing stuff and earning a car when he became eligible to drive. Like we had cars, again, we, 
bought our cars. Parents would help you. I'll give you this if you do that. And then, like, I remember my dad saying, if you're playing a sport, I'll, help, I'll pay your insurance. And if you're not, you're going to pay it. Okay, so might as well stay playing sports. You don't have to pay my bill. So, I mean, that's something that I think was good for our family. And I try to tell parents all the time, like, give your kids motivation and tell them if they stay with sports, if you have the means, support them with buying them. Listen, I had a $500 car. You don't have to have an expensive car. You have something that you can drive. You can get you to here to there. And if you got to work a little bit, fine. But don't ever quit sports because you want to play. You want to get a job and get a nice car. I mean, that's what I tell kids is the worst thing in the world. Don't be in a rush to get to have bills. You know, and that's one thing I help parents. If anybody listens as a parent, make your kid, let them enjoy being a kid. Let them not have bills stacking up in high school because the insurance that these kids get and they get a nice car, you got to work just to pay for the car. Yeah. So enjoy high school sports and, you know, people probably be mad, but I wish they would raise a driving age sometimes to 18. Yeah, you know, I agree because with that. This, this way high school kids don't have to worry about these things. Right. Yeah, Let right. them be kids. I mean, right. you really, it's, it'd be like blasphemy to do it now. But <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, mean, I just wish the kids wouldn't be faced with, oh, I got to quit because I got to pay for my car. Every time I wow. hear that, I'm like, all right, so you want to fast forward to 35 years old and, and be regretting that you never did this? Yeah. You know, nothing more yeah. painful than regret if you if you want to do it. You know, So that's one thing I wish parents would do for their kids. Well, I think back to what you said. I mean, sports, it's a microcosm of life. And you don't realize it until you're out of it. Absolutely. And you think about everything that happened in football or baseball or whatever. Yeah. And now you come back to life now. It's like, well, working with people, working with team, you know, the social aspect of it all and having to mm -hmm. take a backseat sometimes or take the lead sometimes. So... Yeah, I think sports is unfortunately being underplayed sometimes, especially football. Mm -hmm. I think it's an amazing sport that you really need to consider for the life challenges after and then what it prepares you for. So, oh, the team aspect and everything. And, you know, I just, it's, it's just great for the kids. I think it's, you know, again, it's under attack a lot of times and, you know, the, the safety and you always got to worry about the safety with head injuries and stuff. And that's something as a coach, I tell kids, I'll, I'll tell you to suck anything up. If your leg is falling off, I'm going to tell you to suck it up. But if you got a head injury, you got to tell me right away. And I tell the kid, they know that. I don't care about anything else. I don't want to hear it until the trainer says you're off the field. But if your head hurts from doing something, I'm yanking you out of the game. I don't care what the score is. I don't care what's happening because there's so much science that proves that it's not good for the kids of having that second impact and stuff like that. So we have done so much to try to take the kids' heads out of the game. And it's just a matter of coaches are so much more educated now. And we do drills for that reason because for us, I mean, if a kid gets – a concussion he's out of the game so we're not as good as a coach and one of our best players is not playing so it's just for your own sake to do it the right way you know very cool yeah Any man i can't can't say enough but i respect you man for you're, being a leader for these kids you know it's, you're it's changing fun, lives it's changing lives and they're you know like you said they're they're calling you back years later and you know the impact you've made on them yeah. so keep doing what you're doing man yep. we love you for it we will yeah bro thanks for having thanks for coming on appreciate thanks for it. having me man Absolutely. How Appreciate you? you having having you on the show, coming in today. Been and uh been really fun to do it. Yeah. If anybody wants to check out some past episodes, you can find us on uh, YouTube and Instagram and obviously on Facebook. So. All righty. All right, Sounds guys. Good. Signing Thanks off. Again, man. All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Finding Success Show.